Let's take a moment and consider just how important courage that flows from faith is in life. A famous man once said, It is not the critic that counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or how the doer of good deeds might have done them better. No, the credit belongs to the one who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, And spends himself in a worthy cause. Who at best knows the triumph of high achievement. And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Courage. It's a famous quote. Most would know that those are words from Theodore Roosevelt, who actually spoke them at a conference in Paris, France, when he was asked to speak on what makes a nation great. The rest of the speech is also significant. He says it is not the affluence of the nation... It is not the might of their armies. It is not the success of their people. It is the depth of the character of its citizens. Theodore Roosevelt was the 26th president of these United States. He was a figure larger than life. In fact, his image is one of four that is now carved into the face of Mount Rushmore. Along with, get this, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson... Abraham Lincoln, and Theodore Roosevelt. An incredible man in his own right. The first president to ever fly in an airplane. First president ever to own a car. To have a telephone in his home. He wrote 25 books. He went on safari in Africa. In fact, the first president ever to leave these United States while being in office. The president that understood the value of uh, the beauty of our nation's wildlife and wild regions and established many of our now famous national parks, including the Grand Canyon. He was a war hero long before he became famous as a politician. In fact, he was uh, the leader of what became known as uh, Roosevelt's Rough Riders during the Spanish-American War, uh, fought largely in Cuba, and was not just a leader who led from the back in strategy, but one who led his men from the front. In one of the more famous and deadly battles of that campaign, he wrote later in a diary, On the day of the big fight, I had to ask my men to do a deed that military experts consider impossible— That is to attack uphill, over open ground, an unshakable enemy armed with the best modern repeating rifles 
who were hid behind a formidable system of entrenchments. The only way I could get them to do it was to lead them myself. And he led them from horseback, the only man mounted, an easy target. 200 soldiers fell dead that day, and he still led his men to victory. He was not without his difficulties, not without his trials, although the Roosevelts were wealthy. Uh, he suffered personal setback. His first wife died in childbirth. The very same day and in the very same house, his mother also died. It so broke him that he decided to leave New York and he traveled out west to North Dakota, no less, back in the day at the turn of the century, late 1800s actually, and decided that he would become a cowboy rancher, an adventurer. He wrote even books on, on big game hunting in North America. And he would have stayed there enjoying that life uh, had a blizzard not come and decimated his herd so that he lost almost everything, returned to New York, got involved in politics, and eventually was elected as William McKinley's vice president. Became president when William McKinley uh, suffered death by an assassin's bullet in 1901. In fact, Theodore Roosevelt himself was shot at close range with a 32 caliber handgun uh, while attending a speech in Milwaukee. Uh, if it had not been for a glass case that he had in his breast pocket, plus the manuscript that he tucked in his vest, he probably would have died as well. And then he was also a man of war, remember, and a man who saw McKinley die, a man who saw Garfield die, and he said they didn't die from the gunshot, they died from the infection. He refused to let the surgeons remove the bullet, and he carried it until he died of natural causes. An incredible man larger than life, known for his quotes, one especially where he said, walk softly but carry a big stick. He said, don't hit at all if it's honorably possible to avoid hitting, but never hit softly. <laughs> he said, if you kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you probably won't sit down for a month. You know? He believed in personal accountability. Believe, he said, and you are halfway there. And then this is the, the quote that I love from him most of all. He said, in any moment of decision, we're talking about courage today. In any moment that requires decision, the best thing to do is the right thing. The next best thing to do is the wrong thing. And the worst possible thing you can do is nothing. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I don't intend to be a political leader. I don't intend to be a, a leader in my company or an industry. I don't even intend to lead some great social cause to, to right some wrong. So what do I need of courage? But in truth, life demands courage of us all. Those of us who have ever been and who hasn't been in some financial setback, some financial struggle, know that it takes courage to chart and follow a pathway out of financial loss. Refusing to settle for a bad relationship, a bad marriage, and to address the issues that have to be addressed demands courage. Standing up for someone else when they are being beaten down in their absence, demands courage. Advocating for what's right, not for what is popular, by definition, not popular, but right, demands courage. Telling a teenager, no, absolutely no, 
when all of their friends' parents are conceding the point and not engaging the battle, you know that requires courage. Being unashamedly and openly Christian in your perspective on life, whatever the issue might be in which your colleagues, your friends engage, I'm not talking about being superior, I'm not talking about being self-righteous, but I'm talking about not being ashamed of your faith and expressing it from a personal point of view, just saying, you know, for me as a Christian, and then sharing your view and identifying yourself as a Christian in this secular culture demands courage. Maintaining a positive attitude and a strong worth ethic in a low-paying job while you're waiting for your break or while you're charting your course to something better, to still be positive and not negative and not critical at such a time as that requires courage. Wading into a difficult conversation rather than ignoring a growing problem demands courage. Life demands courage on the part of all of us. Now today's message is not so much about courage. I know that's the theme for the day. But it's really about the genius of gratitude that leads to courage. This is how it works. If you haven't heard the previous messages, there is linkage here. Pastor Garrett did an incredible job of talking about how grateful people are more aware Grateful people, by virtue of being grateful, are more aware of their blessings. It's so important, and it's never too late to learn, but it's so important, especially for those of you who have young children, to remind them to be grateful. This is hard when you have so much, but we have to find ways to help our kids be grateful. We have to find ways to remind ourselves that we are blessed, because it leads to perspective. People who are more mindful of blessings then focus on the good in life. There's plenty that's wrong with your life, to be sure. And you could make a list, and it might be easier for you to list the things that are wrong. But how much more powerful it would, be, would it be for you to list the things that are good? People who focus on the good in life then become more optimistic. You know, they expect good things to happen because they see good things. And if they're more optimistic, people who are more optimistic tend to be courageous. By definition, they're expecting things to turn out. They see good things, even in difficult circumstance. Even when things go bad, they see the good in that. They become courageous, and courageous people attempt more in life. People who attempt more in life achieve more. More at-bats, more hits. It's just the way it works. And if you achieve more in life, you experience more blessings. It's just going to happen. We're going to talk next week about success and how do you manage success, because I think success kills as many people as failure. And then more blessings, more gratitude, more gratitude, more optimism, more optimism, more courage, more courage, more attempts, more attempts, more success. The cycle continues on and on and on. So it begins with gratitude. Courage is just the outcome. Well, today we're going to look at uh, Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 31, as we study how understanding what God has done for us should lead us to greater courage. Let's pray as we begin. May the words of my mouth, may what I say be what you want me to say, Lord, not, not something clever uh, that I have conceived, but, but rather just be faithful and true to your word. That's all that we need. Uh, may the words of my mouth and also the meditations or the thoughts of the hearts of your people also be, you know, not selfish, but 
understanding, Lord, that, that what you want in their life will be beneficial to them. It won't be lost on them. It will be beneficial to others. And it will ultimately bring praise to you. So let the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the assembled hearts be acceptable and faithful to you, Lord, for all the reasons that we gather in Christ. Amen. Well, let's read the, uh, the lesson. I'm going to read right through it. Eight verses from 31 to 39. If you have your Bible, you can follow along or you can just watch on screen. Uh, and, and then I'm going to come back and make three points. Paul has just described how God has gone about not only accomplishing our salvation, but also bringing people to the knowledge of their salvation. He's just explained that in the first 30 verses. He says, if, if that is true, then what shall we say in response to what God has done? Well, this. Here's the conclusion of the matter. If God has done all of this for us, who or what could ever oppose us, successfully oppose us? If he did this, an argument from greater to lesser, if he did not spare his own son, I can't imagine anything greater that you would expect God to do for you. But if he gave him up for you, will he not along with him freely and graciously give us everything else that you need? If he's done that, what would he spare bringing you? doesn't mean that you won't have trouble, but even in the trouble he will bring you favor and blessing. Who can bring anything against those whom God has chosen? Who can discourage you from believing that God loves you and wants to prosper you? It's God who has justified you. It's God who's made you acceptable to himself. Who then is the one who can tell you or convince you that you are not acceptable, that you have no reason to believe in his favor? No one can do that. Christ Jesus died for you. And, and that's where most preachers stop, isn't it? You know, I, I once uh, worked for the seminaries of our church body, and I was required in that position to preach uh, twice a month somewhere in these United States, usually for seminary uh, recognition Sundays. And I was preaching out on the East Coast one time, uh, and this church had a constant rotation of new pastors. Every two years they'd get a new pastor, and it was a small church. They wouldn't stay. They'd go somewhere else. And, and I went out to preach for an anniversary for them, and I asked uh, one of the leaders of the church, I said, so how's it been getting these seminary students every year? What, what advice could you give me? He says, we get saved every Sunday, Pastor. In other words, that's the only message the seminary students knew, is that Jesus died for you, and because he died for you, you're forgiven, and you're going to heaven. But Paul doesn't stop there. He died for you, but more than that, he was raised to life. And more than that, he is at the right hand of God. And more than that, he makes intercession for you. You have an advocate who died for you, who now pleads for you at the throne of God. So what can separate us from the love of God as he's shown us in Christ Jesus? Oh, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have hardship. You're going to have persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword will come against you, even because of faith. For isn't it written and predicted that for God's sake, because of who we are and because we stand against the culture, because we are people who march to the beat of a different drummer, you know, we have a different set of values. All day long, we are going to be considered sheep to be slaughtered. We're going to be considered people who don't get it. We're going to be despised. We're going to be forsaken. But in all of these things, even in these things, in our difficulties, we become more than conquerors. I want you to hang on those three words. More than just succeeding. More than being victorious. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced 
that neither death nor life, not an angel, not a demon, nothing present, nothing in the future, no power, no height, no depth, nothing in all creation, you get it? Nothing, <laughs> nothing can come between you and the love of God that has been shown you in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an incredible statement he makes here. Gratitude for what God has done leads to a realization that I am blessed, leads to optimism, leads to courage in life because I know God is for me. He says, if God is for you, then what could possibly stand against you if God did not spare his own son? But he didn't just die for you that, so that someday at the end of this difficult and awful life, you may finally enter into heaven and it'll all be worth it. Now that's true. Don't want to dismiss that. That's the most important thing God has done for you is to provide for your salvation. But even now, he didn't just die. He was raised from the dead. He wasn't just raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And he didn't just ascend into heaven. He stands there to plead your case before your Father in heaven. So you have every right to believe that your concerns will be known by God who created the heaven and the earth and who could do anything and everything to change your circumstance. I love the way Paul describes it in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4. He says, we have a great high priest who has entered into the most holy place. Now the high priest would go into the holy of holies and make uh, intercession for the people and ask God to forgive. That was ritual in the Jewish faith. But he says, we have Jesus who has gone into heaven, into the most holy of holies. A high priest, and this is part of the beauty of his humanity. Not that just that he died for you because he was human, but that he knows what it's like to have sorrow in his life. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be cold. He knows what it's like to be alone and misunderstood. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. What experience do you have that Jesus doesn't understand? Because the scripture says, he himself was human in every way as you are, yet he did not sin. Therefore, we draw near to God now with confidence, knowing that we have a high priest who stands in his presence and able to find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. You know, because he was here on earth, there's value in that. We all know that the mind and the heart gives up before the body. And, and, and to engage in something that you do not believe will lead to success is, is, is worse than, than failure. But we have every right to expect divine assistance. I quoted last week a book I read about uh, General Patton, and it was interesting when he stood before his troops as they were marching to Bastogne or, or, or before any major battle. He would say, let me tell you this to be truthful to you. He says, more of you will die, more of you will be injured if we ever seek to hold our position. And even more of you will be injured, more of you will die if we ever get involved in retreat. The best way to keep you safe is to attack. I can statistically prove to you that fewer people will die who are on our side if we are in the offensive than if we are in the defensive. Therefore, this army will always attack. And if that's true of military armies, how much more is it true of Christians who will not only survive but thrive if they are in the offensive, if they are engaging in their faith, becoming not just conquerors but more than conquerors? Christians should expect... Attempts on our faith. 
I think attempts on your faith are, are more dangerous than attempts on your life. You know, Paul said if we die, that's far better because we will be with the Lord. You know, so take they our goods, fame, and life. Let these all be gone. They yet have nothing won. The kingdom ours remaineth. But to live without faith, to live without hope, to live in depression, to live wishing that you could die is worse. Christians should expect to try to be discouraged by the devil. He will throw all manner of evil against you. But Christians should expect to achieve overwhelming victory. In all of these things, we become more than conquerors. I think that's an interesting phrase. I said remember it. More than conquerors. What's greater than winning? A person who is more than a conqueror doesn't just survive. He thrives on difficulty. He becomes better because of the difficulty. You don't just win. That difficulty that you overcame makes you stronger to face the next trial with greater confidence because you've been there before and you have seen the outcome of the Lord's strength. You don't just win. You become an advocate and you become a leader. You become an encourager to others and therein your faith becomes known. You don't just win. You become a force to be reckoned with. You become more than just someone who survives. You become someone who thrives because of difficulty. That's why Paul could say last week, as we read in Romans chapter 5, we give God thanks for our tribulations, knowing the outcome of tribulations produce character and character hope, and hope does never disappoint us more than conquerors. Now, I know this about the human condition, and it's evidenced also in our text. There are those who are people of few resources who accomplish much. You know, Paul accomplished much uh, to the glory of God and, and to his own amazement and to his own increased strength. There are those with great resources who accomplish little. I think that's the danger of the American Christian. And to be perfectly honest with you, especially Christians who live in West County, it's so hard for us to be grateful because we have so much. It's so easy for us to slip into... Uh, you know, kind of a comfort zone. You know, it, it's so hard for us to notice blessing because blessing's all around us. I mean, what, one of you stepped into a shower this morning and said, wow, I have hot water inside my house. And most people in the world don't have that. What one of you is concerned about walking out in the parking lot and whether your car's going to start or not, do you carry jumper cables with you? Most people in the world probably do who have a car aren't sure if it's going to ever start or run. I remember when I was in Russia, uh, we went over there to lead some uh, retreats for our missionaries that were in Russia. And, and while we were in uh, Petersburg, uh, we had a, a person who was actually an engineer in the university there uh, who, to make extra money, would give tours of Petersburg. And, and so they, they gave us a tour. And uh, she said, I understand that in America, some people actually have two cars. Uh, she actually had to use a taxi. And the taxi driver would take his steering wheel off of his car and lock it in his trunk so no one would steal it while he was gone. And she said, some people have two cars. I didn't want to tell her at the time I had a teenage son living at home, and we actually had three cars. She thought that was the epitome of wealth. And she didn't have a hard time being grateful for the little things that they had. But we have so much. And if you're not grateful, you lose your perception on God's favor in your life. And if you lose God's perception, what reason is there for you to be optimistic? We tend to look more at our troubles in life rather than our blessings in life. And we could list those so much quicker. But we are more blessed than we are troubled. 
And if we lose that, we lose our optimism. And if we lose our optimism, we lose our courage because we don't believe that God will favor us. I wonder how many of us have uh, frustrated our kids by giving them too much. It's not wrong to have things. You know, some of the famous people in the scripture were wealthy people. But we have to find ways to maintain our appreciation, our gratitude just for the sake of our own life and for the sake of the impact of our life on others. And we have to teach our kids too. And, 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 and sometimes it's saying no, even though you can give them what it is they want. And, and it's not even a bad thing, but you're not going to teach them to be courageous. You're not going to teach them to work for things if you're always providing it. And even if these are things that you need to provide, then you need to take them other places so that they can realize how blessed they are. I know a couple who uh, is... Uh, you know, quite affluent in our congregation. And all through their kids' teenage years, they took them every year on a mission trip. That was part of their vacation because they wanted them to work in an orphanage and see how blessed they were. I, I talked to uh, somebody in our band uh, who said uh, one year uh, their, their mom who worked in Chicago, instead of coming home for Thanksgiving, brought the kids up to Chicago and they worked in a soup kitchen so her kids would appreciate what they have and that it's not common for everybody to have these things because they want them to appreciate the genius of God's key in gratitude, that gratitude leads to perception, perception leads to optimism, optimism leads to courage, and courage will change your life. There are those who with few, questions, few resources accomplish much. There are those with great resources who accomplish little. Where are those of us who have great resources who accomplish extraordinary things because of what God has done for us? One of the ways we do that is encourage you to be involved in some city projects. You don't have to always go out of town to be engaged in a mission. Uh, on the screen behind me is, is a picture of Pat Woods. Now, Pat Woods is not a member of our church. Uh, she is a Christian lady. And uh, she uh, bought this old dilapidated building that they probably sold for, you know, next to nothing because it was nearly falling down. Uh, it was uh, rotten. Uh, it needed tuck pointing. Uh, as much water fell inside as outside whenever it rained. It had roof problems. And, and she had a vision for her community in College Hill. We've been involved in College Hill for a while and involved with Pat Woods. Uh, Pat Woods, at the time, did not know us. She had no money. She had no rich friends. She had no connections to St. John. But she had faith. She had prayer. And she had the courage of her conviction and a dream to do something that would make a difference for her community. Not just for her. She wasn't looking for a, a paycheck. You know, she had a job. She had a good job with Monsanto. But she wanted to help her community. And so she took on this project to reestablish a diner uh, for the people of College Hill to give them hope as much as anything. And, and she opened her doors, uh, Fresno's Diner, the first sit-down diner in that community in 40 years. Give Pat a hand and give God some praise. Now, we've been privileged to be a small part of that, uh, but she was a person of faith long before we got involved. And, and she invited some of our staff, because of what you guys have done, uh, to come up and experience the grand opening. I wasn't able to be there that day, but I went a, a few days later with some other people, and we had breakfast in her diner. I encourage you to go up and check it out and tell her hi. Give her some encouragement. She said as we sat down, and it was kind of fun, because she didn't just want us to, to appreciate what, what she did here. She was going to teach a preacher a few things about faith. And she did. She said, God doesn't come down and always rescue in powerful ways, preacher. He uses people to do the heavy lifting. He didn't send Jacob down to me on his ladder. That's what she said. 
She said setbacks should be expected. Your faith will be tested by failure. You don't always need to know how God will cause a thing to turn out. It's just important that we make the effort and give him something to work with. The result will always be different than we planned, which is really part of the miracle. And this past week, she, she actually sent me this, this card of thank you for coming up. And, and in an Edify, I kind of told her story recently because I think she's an encouragement to so much of us. And in her card, she said to me, if only more people would allow others to be seen outside of the box, living outside of the box, engaging faith, not just holding it as something theological, but something practical. Then and only then can we move forward and know that the battle isn't over. It's just beginning. For her, it's just beginning. She said, I hope to be able to complete the project by rehabbing the banquet center. Actually, it's a, it's a teaching center that will have uh, both large group and small group areas, some computer technology available to her neighborhood, uh, and, and some training for them. She wants to be a job placement center. I trust God for all things. I have the faith that if he should be so kind to grant me the time. You know, just need more time. There are times I feel like Noah. The work may be slow. And to some, impossible. Other times I feel like Job, that even my friends think, this lady's lost her mind. But both of those men trusted God, and he delivered each time. So I wait, I trust, and I keep on working. You know, what an incredible attitude. She has nothing, and she's accomplished more than a lot of us have ever accomplished. I began with a quote of Theodore Roosevelt. Let me end with a quote of Theodore Roosevelt, because I think this is a powerful one. He said, far and away, the best prize, the best prize. You want to have the best in life. You want to have the wealth. You want to have the rich. You want to reach for the brass bar. Far and away, the best prize that life has to offer is the chance to work hard at work worth doing. Work hard at work worth doing. So let me give you your assignment for the week based on this scripture. If God is for you, who can be against you? If he didn't just die for you. But he was raised, if he wasn't just raised, if he ascended, and if he now stands at God's right hand making intercession for you, what work have you been avoiding that requires courage? I'm not talking about making some great change in the world. I'm talking about in your life, what requires courage on your part? And what would being more than a conqueror look like for you? How would it affect other people if, if, if you achieved and overcame this difficulty? How would overwhelming victory look and then what's the first step towards that end what does God want you to do what's he impressing on your heart even now as you hear this message about gratitude that leads to perspective that leads to optimism that leads to courage what is the first step in your courageous life to look like let me pray for you Lord I thank you that you don't just intend to bring us home you don't just intend that we would be saved, that you intend that we would live lives of purpose and intention, and that these would be courageous lives because we know what you have done. Open our eyes, Lord. Never let us become complacent about favor and blessing in our life. Help us to be encouraged by past blessing so we might be uh, more inclined to trust that you will provide for our future until the day that you bring us home. And that will be a great day to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Enter into my rest. Your rest is not yet. Your rest is not now. Uh, your rest is a reward that someday will be granted to me, even as you have granted to me my salvation and my confidence in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to ask you to rise and join with me in a, 
in a confession of sins to prepare us to receive the Lord's Supper. And we want to do that about, about courage because we haven't always